the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode, I'll be chatting with Rob Slaven, Defence Business Development Director at Serco Asia Pacific, and also with Ryan Matter, Marine Engineering Manager at Serco North America. And we're going to be talking about their No Mariners Required Ship concept, or NOMARS. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Grant. Good evening. <laughs> yes, I should mention uh, Ryan is coming in from the US and uh, Rob is here in Canberra. So uh, a bit of a time zone fun, but... Uh, that's okay. Ryan was able to join us from yesterday, so everything's good. And with that, let's jump into the first of the questions. Gents, can you tell me what is this NOMARS program that DARPA is working with and what's the inspiration for starting it? So DARPA, being the, the organisation that it is, it challenges conventional thinking. That's its primary role in life, to find better ways of doing business. So they took that to a emerging U.S. Navy problem, which is the long endurance um, patrols, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance sort of missions, specifically anti-submarine warfare, and how we can adapt platforms, mariner platforms, naval platforms for long endurance patrol work to actually allow stand-in operations where the enemy may be dominating a battle space or actually just to remove the humans from the equation for long endurance patrol work. So the, the NOMARS program is really to explore and adapt technology down pathways that traditional naval architecture would not allow. And what we're really doing is we're pushing the boundaries of what uh, I think correctly we should be described as COTS technology. We're not developing anything bespoke. We are modifying what is available and really seeing how long we can get those systems to see such that there will always be a reliable performance that you know operational people can depend on. It's really about the platform. It's proving that a platform, and in our case the defiant uh, uncrewed vessel, can stay at sea for a year on its own without any human interaction and that it can conduct operations with a carrier battle group, those sort of things. That's, that's really where DARPA's head's at. Um, and you know, I'll turn it over to my erstwhile companion, Ryan. He's one of those... Um, foolhardy heroes who are pushing technology down pathways that shouldn't go. Thanks, Rob. So, yeah, I've been working this program since the industry day late in 2019. Uh, we were awarded our phase one contract in uh, early 2020. And uh, DARPA Tactical Technologies Office is a, is a section of um, the advanced research agency that uh, pushes TRL into um, the battle space into the, into the Pentagon. So while we're, you know, Rob mentioned we're primarily using uh, COTS technologies, the the integration of those technologies and the layering of uh, machine learning and control systems and autonomy on top of those to to push the boundaries of of log endurance and uh, a persistent asset is is one of the main goals here. So DARPA has been you know, over the years has has built a number of unclassified demonstrators. Uh, the ACTUV, which later became or got named Sea Hunter through ONR, it would have been their their last one in 2016. Uh, Mars is aimed at being the uh, next revolutionary push in, in vessel autonomy. And while 
previous programs might have been focused on a, a specific mission or bridge autonomy, the uh, the engine room autonomy and the resiliency of the platforms, the real the real focus here. So we know we can do the the remote control. We know we can do the autonomous navigation. So the question is, how do we get the availability of these platforms to a place where it can be a persistent fleet asset and we can drive the cost of the mission down below the cost of doing it with a manned asset? So is this like the crewed, uncrewed teaming that we're seeing in aviation as well, where a, a ship can have a flotilla of these type of devices to expand its its reach and its presence? Absolutely. I won't speak to my program, but you can see in the aviation space, this is called the loyal wingman model. And uh, there's there's a number of other programs out of PMS 406, uh, which um, do speak to mission packages. Uh, my, my program's non-class uh, and we, we're we agnostic to mission packages. You can kind of envision some of the things um, that a vessel like this might do, but that's... Uh, that is a very feasible space where the technology could grow. I think maybe to answer that in a different way, Grant, where current examples of maritime autonomy really have the vessel locating and identifying other vessels and then avoiding them, what we're doing with DARPA on the NOMAS program is we find those vessels and then we close those vessels and we cooperate in close formation with those vessels. So the loyal wingman is not such a bad example, but then when you overlay operational concepts like distributed maritime operations, etc., the NOMAR's evolution as it goes down, whatever platforms fall out of it, will not necessarily be in that close formation of a fighter group. It will be distributed over battle space to deliver those effects. So one additional question on the systems, yeah, you said it's autonomous navigation. It's it's not a fully autonomous vessel. It's still given commands by by a crew. Is that correct? So to contextualise that, the vessel is fully autonomous. It, you can, of course, program in um, operational areas for it to do it. You can box in what it's trying to do, where it is. Uh, and when you do put on these different mission systems that Ryan talked to, whether they be other autonomous vessels or crews or or whatever it is that they actually put on the platform itself, that to some extent will still have reached back into a centralised operations area such that if there's an ISR package that's on the ship, then that data has to go somewhere else. It can process some of it on board, but usually you take that data back to a central operations area to look at the data and use it. And then if you go to the next level and you put weapons on the vessel, then you know, everyone seems to be a bit concerned with robots having weapons control. So again, there will be humans in the loop at certain stages. But for marine autonomy and navigation, etc., just normal everyday mariner skills, the vessel should be considered fully autonomous. It's just the interactions for the user part of it where humans come back into it. So let's look at this NOMARS program with DARPA. How was Serco selected to be involved in the program? So it's DARPA likes to do design competitions, right? So they they run all the horses and see who the front runner is. So we were lucky enough to be seated in the track A teams, which were for the vessel design. There was also track B teams for disruptive technologies to be incorporated in those vessel designs. And Circa was selected along with uh, you know the the industry incumbents, I'll say L three and Gibson Cox, which is now Lightos, um, for that design study. 
and at the halfway point of phase one, uh, L3 was down selected out. And then we were able to propose a ship build for phase two, and our ship was selected over Lighthouse. So we're headed, to, we're in construction right now. Okay. And you've just mentioned phase two. So, uh, what were the considerations of the preliminary design stage and what do you see are the goals and constraints of phase two's detailed design build test? DARPA really removed all of the design constraints. What we've seen previously in ship design for autonomy is that you take a, a manned vessel and you apply autonomy to it. And DARPA's vision for this platform was we can do much better than that. So they asked us for, instead of a ship design, they asked us for a process how we would go about determining what is necessary for an uncrewed vessel and optimize and maximize for the, the the savings that you would see by removing everything that's unnecessary from it. So we we practiced a set-based design process. Set-based design is where instead of hopping to a conclusion, you take all of your functional areas, all your disciplines in naval architecture and marine engineering, you let them develop their design space and then you look for overlaps. And we had a software that we created in order to do that. So we were able to harvest a multi-million point design space from the very loose requirements for an uncrewed system and then start exploring the connections, the multidimensional connections between you know what a trade-in size or speed or endurance range might look like to come up with with a requirement space that DARPA was interested in demonstrating on this. So I think, you know, our our major requirements here, obviously, we talked about reliability. So it was reliability per, and I'll just say vessel cost, but vessel size and and installed um, equipment was something we really looked at. So uh, it was a it was a best feasible mission parameter per cost per reliability space, which we really explored. We knew we needed a, a certain mission speed. Uh, we wanted a certain mission endurance, and uh, we were able to do that through our, our software and our approach. And I think to actually explain that software tool that uh, Ryan described there, um, because DARPA did challenge us and our, our competitors to really think outside the box, Apart from accepting Archimedes' principle that you have to displace more water than you weigh, everything else was open, uh, open fair game. And the software tool that we deployed, uh, the numbers a bit, it sounds niff-naff, but uh, literally there are about a million different design options spat out by the software in its first iterative take. And then as you run the software over and over and we interacted with DARPA to get their feedback, it was really only towards the end of the process where there were maybe a couple of dozen designs where the humans started looking at it properly. And it really did, it, it embraces truly what we're trying to do with autonomy here in that we let the machine tell us what we needed to do for a boat. And it's only when it got to a certain stage where the humans went, okay, thank you, machine. Now we'll actually start interacting and tell you how we run the world. Um, so that software tool was very, very useful. And DARPA did that they appreciated our approach and that we took all considerations, all traditional design considerations away. We, we shot that horse and we said, right, what is the art of the possible? And the Defiant uh, platform that's under construction now is a result of that. Um, we're pushing boundaries here and, and DARPA 
for better or worse, are encouraging us. So. <laughs> well, it is when you push the boundaries that you get the great innovations and the the new eureka moments. To to use Archimedes as an example, so so first things that come to mind for me are amount of fuel to go. I'm assuming this is not going to get refueled during its circumnavigation if it gets to that. Is that is that the case? That would be an incorrect assumption. It does actually autonomously replenish at sea. So, Ryan? That's something that was part of the design competition. Uh, we had to figure out unmanned refueling. It's uh, one of the major goals of the program. Wow. Okay. Is having I think watched, we're going to nail it. Yeah, well, having watched replenishment at sea, that's pretty impressive to do that. Well, you know, our, our shop's been around since the late 1950s, and we have a few guys still around who own the patents on those systems. <laughs> Very helpful. Very helpful. And, and in terms of you've, you've spoken about you know, keeping it low maintenance or highly reliable and so on. And, and yeah, I guess the last thing you want is your, um, you know, your, your non-marinated vessel to shut down somewhere because it needs maintenance. So, um, what you said, surprise! How often that happens? Mm. Yeah, because when you've got a crew on board and things are going wrong, you you can get people onto it. <laughs> I, I should mention my my work background was it as a chief engineer out at sea before I went into um, ship repair, fleet management, and then ship design. So I've been that guy that hit the wrong button, and blacked out the ship, <laughs> and then so I to- got rid of that button on Nomars. <laughs> Excellent. So Grant, the the. Design philosophy that the team have taken, uh, it's not just double redundancy, there's triple redundancy. And again, it's one of those naff phrases that float around, but graceful degradation. It is assuming and accepting that, you know, machines do break. The ocean is a hostile place for mariner platforms. And it's really just coming up with a way that we can actually still keep this platform out on station for, you know, the, the notional year that it will stay out there. Um, and really, yeah, the, the, the team have embraced technology to its fullest. A lot of the traditional mindsets where that question actually came from are based on you know, what happens today. Um, you know, as Ryan just said, sailors do dumb stuff and ships do you know, break because of the technologies that are involved. The fact that we were able to just find or at least identify common use COTS technologies that are reliable, that have extensive supply chain and uh, diagnostic data attached to them. We can identify, and again, it's one of those phrases, best of breed, and then really put it through the ringer and work out how it can do this graceful degradation of if that part of the system fails, what happens next, then the next, then the next, such that you still have a minimum viable operational capability at the end of that 12 months. Okay, so cutting edge stuff, great innovation, going to be amazing, doing all this with DARPA, but Serco has a very large presence with the Royal Australian Navy as well. So are you keeping the Royal Australian Navy up to date and how do you see NOMARS and the Defiant type vessels operating with the Royal Australian Navy? So we cannot, um, as the subcontractor to DARPA, we can't speak on behalf of what DARPA and the Australian Navy have uh, shared information-wise, but we certainly made the introductions. We know that's alive and well. Um, you know, I can happily sit back and, and poke holes in the competition, etc. But because we are doing something very, very different, 
um, it is expanding what is the art of the possible. You know, the, the objective here is to have a usable platform careening around the oceans with the carrier battle group 12 months after it sails. That's no other ship does that yet. Um, so this is really pushing the, the technology where it has to go. And there are specific programs from um, the integrated investment plans such as C5012, the integrated undersea surveillance. That is exactly where this No Mars heritage came from. It's about the continuous ASW patrol task and, and barrier operations, etc. So there are very clear pathways here for Australian adoption. Um, we need to prove out the technology, but um, you know, people when when they think of autonomy and uh, autonomous systems, they think about dozens, hundreds, thousands of these things doing something. Uh, it's not necessarily that way, especially when you're towing a sonar in the water. Um, first thing you do when you get a sonar contact is usually nothing. <laughs> you watch it develop. So it is really, you know, in that specific uh, undersea surveillance space, you can quite easily imagine the Australian Navy deploying a couple of these vessels, maybe in the Indian Ocean, a couple in the Southwest Pacific, just doing that long endurance picture compilation task where traditionally at the moment the US Navy does that with crewed Tagos ships. So we immediately take the people off, we make things cheaper, we uncomplicate the vessel by taking all the humans' interaction off it, we still have a sonar on board, we're still processing data, we're still sending that to do that secondary data analysis, etc. So there are applications to the future Australian Defence Force. Um, but like I say, I can't speak for the Navy <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to speak for DARPA, um, but certainly the technological applications are there and they, are, they will reshape how defence does its work. As has been said with some of the aviation um, surveillance aircraft, the autonomous ones, it's, it takes away those jobs that drive the crew insane with those long times away from home and just out there doing the monotony. Yeah, I mean, the, the Triton is a classic example where traditionally people have thought about P3s out there doing their role, getting out there patrolling. The P8s are still there doing it, but that long-term picture compilation, that pattern identification, that's the Triton's job and it does it brilliantly. So um, let the robots run the world. If you'll indulge me for a second, uh, when I left being a port engineer for the Tagos program uh, <laughs> to come work for Serco, uh, I, I walked into Nate Miller's office and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I spent my 20s aboard ship and I was starting to get a little weird. Um, I think we should take the people off of the ships, especially in the engine room. Do you have anything auto you know, for autonomy? And uh, I'd really like to do engine room autonomy. And he said, well, I don't have anything right now, but go downtown talk to everybody and see what you can bid. And that's how I ended up here. <laughs> nice. Well, that's certainly one way to A, get a job and B, grow a market. Well done. So one of the uh, additional questions I'd like to know about is uh, Serco is very heavily involved in this program, in the No Mars and so on. But you're not alone, are you? There, you're, you're, you're managing and coordinating a consortium, is that correct? You've got uh, other companies that you're bringing together? Part of our strategy to be successful in this program, given the monolithic nature of the competition, was to bring as many key players together in what I've branded the Rebel Alliance uh, to, to create 
to create the best product and the best team possible for the customer. So we, we have brought to the table, um, team agreement at all, uh, skin in the game, uh, Thrustmaster of Texas, uh, Buyer Technologies, uh, Spear Battery, um, just a, a number of top-notch component providers, uh, Marine AI uh, for the submergence, and Nichols Brothers Boat Building is where the, the ship is currently under construction. They've been a fantastic partner. I should mention that one of the key features of the program was not to utilize a tier one or tier two yard, what we would call, you know, a surface combatant yard or a, um, a exquisite yard. The, the idea behind the vessel is to be able to make them and maintain them and, and less improved port facilities kind of anywhere where you can fit a hull of this size. So I won't go into too much more than that, but we were looking at being able to produce large number of these if necessary in a short period of time. And we were definitely designed for that. And I think just to build on that again, um, Nichols Brothers call out to them, they're doing sterling work. Uh, As Ryan said, they're not your typical warship shipyard. They are a small uh, organization up there in Washington State. They build tugboats, et cetera. So automatically the adoption of, again, these autonomous systems can assist to break the defense force and the department out of some of these models and the reliant on vendor lock. So if you can build a tugboat, you could probably build the Nomars platform. It, it takes, you know, again, we, we, we're allowed to approach the technology in a totally different manner and we were equally encouraged to approach the actual build task and the team in, in a different manner. When you take it beyond the platform and you look at the systems, et cetera, that we can operate with, um, yes, yeah, so, uh, Circo does sonar, but we've actually teamed with a sonar partner for that part of it because they're a professional and focused sonar team. Uh, we don't need to do everything, and if it already is, resides in the country that we're operating with, that be the US or Australia, then we're not going to replicate it. We're going to team with those people. And, and how is the teaming operating? Is it Serco as the um, main central linchpin holding it all together, or is it more of a conglomeration of equal groups working together? So we are we are the prime contractor, and and we are doing a great majority of the engineering and software in house. So for the most part, our team members are vendors who are making customizations at our request to their products. And uh, Circo envisions a, or at least I envision, <laughs> speaking for Circo, um, a world where we would uh, we would produce these across the country manage the logistics chain of, of equipment arriving at the vessels and manage the vessels for the Navy. And beyond that, uh, the customer usually wants one throat to choke. So we are that throat. Um, that way we are responsible for the delivery. Um, it, it just cleans things up. We're not trying to share the risk with people. We own the program. We have deliberately identified preferred partners and we're sticking with them. Um, yeah, so... From a customer point of view, we're trying to alleviate a lot of that risk with this, quite quite literally, I, I guess if I was to cynically say, the ADF's not ready to go down this path because it really is such high risk. But if you give it to a company like Circo that goes, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll bring it together, the happy campus together, and we'll make this product for you and we'll take responsibility and accountability for it. So again, it probably tra- challenges traditional models in the acquisition space. Um 
but it, we think, or certainly the feedback we're getting from DARPA, is that they appreciate everything we're doing. They like the way that we've structured the team and they have no complaints. So, Fantastic. Good way to be. And I like the comment about the uh, single point to, uh, to liaise with, uh, having been in the scenario of coordinating multiple vendors and so on. As I pointed out, the user doesn't care. They just want their report printed right now at 4 o'clock on Friday before they go home. And who cares who causes it to not run? Just fix it. So with that in mind... We've talked about DARPA, we've talked about NOMARS, we've uh, talked about potential uses, civilian and military, Royal Australian Navy, etc. Now, I understand uh, you've got an engagement with the UK's Ministry of Defence where you're doing something similar but different, and this one has the Greek name of Charybdis. I hope I got that pronunciation right. Eh? Is that- uh, it depends whether you're British or not, so I'll say Charybdis. Um- but yeah, very much so. So that's actually a, a Royal Navy test and evaluation program. Again, deep research. So DARPA is this unique organisation. It's not a DSTG. It's not a DSTL. It's not an NRL. Um, so we're allowed to do a lot more with that DARPA customer than we could with the more traditional ones. So uh, Charybdis is actually a, a Royal Navy initiative to work out or at least identify the pathways that uncrewed systems can supplant and in some cases replace the traditional operational methodologies of, um, of naval task groups, etc. So again, it's specifically really dealing with the ASW threat because it's such an enduring threat, it's always out there. And how do you use uncrewed systems to best develop that subsurface picture um, to give the crewed systems the queuing they need to take it to the next level? So with the Charybdis, um program you know there are other companies working in different areas etc again we've taken a teamed approach um, with a uuv company and with a sonar company and we've put that together as an operational concept with humans in the loop in a remote but centralized operation center you know that could be co-located in an australian context that would be um, an undersea uh, warfare command center somewhere in australia or embarked on a ship it has the uh, Air Force Triton information coming into the P-8s. It has the Naval Frigate information coming into it. It has the submarines coming into it. It has fixed systems and uncrewed systems all giving their data in various forms into that operations centre. And the operations centre using that data to retask the uncrewed vessels to queue manned aircraft or, sorry, crewed aircraft onto uh, other tasks, etc. So it's really exploring the art of the possible and what does that actually mean when you use a NOMARS-type uh, platform. In the Charybdis um, example, we've actually called it Intrepid because it's a British program and it had to have a British name. Um, so we're, we're doing that exploration. It's part of a, a wider thing, again, with the Royal Navy that they're looking at how they use uncrewed surface air and undersea vehicles, fixed systems on the seabed, how they get that together. Um, and the Circo, what we've been talking over with the Royal Navy and, and as part of our submission, as part of Charybdis, is you look at um, companies like Ocean Infinity, which are totally different. You know, they just do that hydrographic work for offshore uh, industry. They used manned or crewed uh, support vessels with uncrewed undersea vehicles that survey task 
the actual ship and the crew have nothing to do really with the uncrewed vessels other than they launch and recover and the uncrewed vessels transmit their data autonomously to the mothership, which then goes out via satellite dish to the shore-based operations centre where, again, humans interact with the robots and they take and process that data. So there's different ways you can look at the problem and that's really what Charybdis is all about, integrating a family of uncrewed autonomous systems developing that operational outcome that then the crude assets interact with. So I will say um, there, there's a lot of similarities in the question, the Charybdis question that were also covered in the Nobars question. You know, we talked about optimizing the platform um, for, as an uncrewed system, you removing the galleys, removing the passageways, removing the bridge. But Nomars is in a lot of ways, a very small container ship. It's built around a, a modular payload, and it has quite an impressive payload fraction once you get rid of those passageways, those galleys, the the systems um, that support life at sea. You could do a further optimization onto that, which is select emission system, which at NOMARS isn't necessarily um, designed for as a, as a demonstrator, not even a prototype as a demonstrator. So since we're, we're agnostic to payload, but we do carry um, quite a bit of representative payload that you could install, name your mission system. Uh, Charybdis is, will be designed around a specific payload and there's a further optimization of that platform that could happen if it uses Nomars as a parent. Well, gents, uh, I understand that uh, you will, uh, well, Serco itself will be at uh, Indopac coming up and uh, will uh, Defiant and uh, and uh, Charybdis concepts be on display there or discussed, et cetera? Certainly no, no Mars. The uh, DARPA Defiant version will be there. Charybdis will be there in various elements. The team will be over from the US to discuss it. We are wanting to talk about our product. We're proud parents and it will redefine the way that navies operate in the future. Well, excellent. I'll look forward to uh, seeing you folks there. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Grant. Thanks, Grant. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow this podcast in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.